A Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Hello, Nat Kringudis. Hello, Cecilia. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you for asking. Oh, very nice of you to ask. You're welcome. <laughs> generally what we do. You know what? You Then you have to reply, how really are you? Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, that's when you get deep. Oh, do you want to know? We're supposed to do that with Wobbly. all of our good friends, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. Check yeah. on that person. The, one, the strong one. Check on the strong friend, right? Mm. Yes. Anyway. Wobbly. The wobbly. Wobbly. <laughs> Maybe the word feel? I... Yeah. Oh, that's... I'm all right now, but it was a bit wobbly last week. Yes. It's been... Well, the change of the seasons always bring that, at least for me. I think there was a combination of PMS and a oh, full yeah. moon. Oh, yeah. And maybe too much time spent with my children. Yes, well, the school holidays <laughs> will do that. <laughs> so, you know, you'll love that. Hey, um, our guest today is someone who knows a lot about yes. very small children. And I am very excited to be able to pick her brains on all kinds of things. Hi, it's Pinky McKay here. Thank- I'm a lactation consultant and a baby care author. And a mother and a grandmother. Oh, all of the things. A grandmother as well. Mm, that's wow. An exciting time. I know that that's all my mum talks about, becoming a grandparent. That was, I think, her favourite thing so far. I think that was far surpasses us as children. But it's all, <laughs> it's oh, all totally. care and responsibility. <laughs> all care and no responsibility. All care and no responsibility. And they call me no rules nanny. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, no rules nanny. I but know that's that, the role of a grandma. Absolutely. Oh, mm. And what your kids get away with with your parents, you never got away with. My goodness. I love that. That's awesome. The other day I was on Facebook and I saw something that you had actually written and I shared it and it just made me laugh so much because it was about having everything, having it all, you know, and this idea that as mothers, women, well, not even mothers, but women, that you can have it all. And and the reality is so different to the idea that you can have a... <laughs> what is it all? Yeah, what is that? Like insanity? <laughs> all the wheelbarrow full of all the rocks. Yeah, right. Exactly, though. It's... <laughs> it feels like you've got all the rocks sometimes because you're trying to work out what to do with them all if it's a barrow full of rocks. But I think, um, you know, we've got you here, so let's let's pick your brains. First of all, through how long have you been doing this as a job, consulting mothers and well, looking probably, after them? Probably about 40 years. I became a La Leche League leader. I was living in New Zealand for a while. I actually grew up in New Zealand, but I've married an Aussie and um, became, I went along to find out how to wean my first child. He was how about old? a year old. Oh. And <laughs> my mother had warned me that, you know, one of, one of um, our aunties, my uncle left her because she was still breastfeeding this toddler. Oh. He was oh, a bit of a womaniser. For, and the woman, he, the woman he brought home didn't have any babies. Oh, so, you know, goodness. I don't think that oh, was wow. quite the case. But um, <laughs> I went along. To, I, that wasn't what scared me. But I was thinking, I don't even know how to wean this child. And then I went along and found all these lovely ladies and got support. And then I became a group leader. So I've started helping mums through that avenue as a volunteer. Hmm. Um, yeah, in the early days. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hmm. And what have you seen that's changed over that time? I would say, see, I've got my kids over a range of 18 years. The oldest one, you know, almost 18 years between the oldest and the youngest. I've had babies in the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. Wow. So um, I've got five of them. And I'd say when I had my first kid, you know, no internet, no information, Woman's Weekly, new idea, how many jackets to knit might be a nice crochet pattern, you know, or something (laughs) like that. How many nappies would you need? And then um, to my youngest, who's 
90s, digital native and all the internet and all the information. And it's not just a little old lady in the street now saying, oh, he really needs a hat on. It's actually someone on the other side of the world that you haven't got a clue who they are who's judging and criticising and advising you on your parenting. Mm. It's scary. Mm, It's true. (laughs) And women are losing, I find, a lot of losing that trust in their intuition. Mm. You know, we had a lot of intuition, not much information. Now we've gone sort of flipped a bit far the other way, I think. Mm. Do you know when I had um, my son, he's nine, so much has changed since then even. Mm. Like to me, he still feels like a little tiny person, but Mm -hmm. he's not, you know, especially in the world of babies because things have changed dramatically in that time. But um, I remember a a friend of my mum's saying to me, she said, she's quite a dry lady. She's Polish and I I like that about her. She's like, just tells it like she sees it. She said, don't read any of the books about what to do when you bring your baby home. She said, because the babies haven't read them. (laughs) Your baby's the book. Yeah. Really? Totally. (laughs) And it was actually the best piece of advice because you do get advice from every every avenue. And even, um, you know, on breastfeeding and stuff, I remember... Someone had said to me, oh, you have to go to the Breastfeeding Association shop and you have to buy bras from there and you have to get their information. And I was like, I am so overwhelmed with what I don't know. Yeah. Yes. You don't know what you don't know and you figure it out. And look, sometimes you do have to call out for help. Yeah. But, you know, and that's fine. But often just in the day-to-day, you can be overwhelmed and wondering what you're doing wrong because your baby isn't fitting into the you know, whatever schedule you've read in a book. It's, it's very hard, isn't Scary. it? Because on one hand, you do need a lot of support. Yes. But on the other, you need to figure it out as well because mm. every child's unique. You know, I tell the funny story. When I brought Livy home from um, hospital... <laughs> I've heard this. <laughs> she cried the entire night and I was like, what is wrong with this child? Now, I birthed in a birthing centre, so I had a little bit of... Um, I had one night in there and then they did offer a second night, but I was like, oh, no, I've got, got this. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> And, of course, we get her home and, I kid you not, I'd hold her, she'd stop crying, I'd put her down, she'd cry again and this happened all night long. And I remember speaking to my best friend called the next morning at about 8am and I was so grateful the phone rang and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on with this child. She hasn't stopped crying all night. And she says to me, have you fed her? And I'm like, um, no. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't occur to me that I needed to feed her because you are, this is what I'm saying though, you're in this haze. Now, imagine if I didn't have that friend that called me I don't know what I actually, at what point I would have gone, oh, I need to feed her. But yeah. it just didn't occur to me that that was what I needed to do. It just it had because your space is so bombarded with all that chemistry after you've given birth. And, of course, that first day she slept the entire day, didn't she? You know, oh, she's, right. she's like docile and out to it and, and I was enjoying that. That was great, you know, lots of cuddles of a sleeping baby. Who doesn't want a bit of that? And then the night time, and it's always, everything's always worse at night, right? Mm. So, anyway, it's a pretty funny story. I just starved my child for the first (laughs) however long and then the the cascade of not having the stimulation and how long my milk took to come in. This poor child was starving for a period of time, but that's okay. We got there in the end. You do. But yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I think, you know, for me, the minute that I surrendered to um, tapping into my intuition, and it probably took me a good six months to do that, Mm. um, life just got easier. It does. It does. I actually did a TED talk called Surrender's Not a Dirty Word because that surrender, you know, I see so many mums who are trying so hard. I mean, nobody's doing anything wrong. They're just trying so hard. Mm. And you can't really change that baby. It's about you surrendering to that individual baby. And they are all different. This is, you know, I know with Olivia was a nightmare sleeper. Geordie came home from day one and slept and I was like, 
actually knowing that, there was nothing I could have done for Olivia. That's just the way she is. And she's still like it today. Mm. And Geordie's the way he is. He falls asleep in a second. Olivia takes an hour. So it's really interesting. You blame yourself as a parent because, you know, there's always you that do. mother with the sleeping child yep. when you have the non-sleeping child. All of your friends. Oh, yeah. and, and, and then also my mum was like, oh, well, for the minute you came home from hospital, you slept. So I don't really know what to do with this. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful either. No. You feel like you're doing something wrong. You do. And you, you're yeah. often just working it out. I was like that. My my second one suddenly slept for eight hours and I'm, you know, checking on him to make sure he's alive. Yeah, yeah. Not to at eight you. weeks and I'm going, huh? The last one took, you know, I was at the doctor's when I was about, he was about 18 months old and I'm pregnant saying, what do I do? Can you give me something to make him sleep? And yes. I, he's going short of a rubber hammer. We're not going to do a thing. <laughs> whiskey, whiskey on a on a dummy. Yes, or oh, that used to happen back then. I know, isn't Ooh. it funny? I love how things change. It was advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never no. did it, but Mar- it was advice. That's right. Old, old wives' tale. Um, I do love, though, that this conversation happens now because I think too for so many women who become mothers and a lot of women are becoming mothers later so they've had careers so they've been in a position of of well not necessarily power not everyone has a job but control you've got control Mm. over your day-to-day life you might work with people that are difficult but you can say goodbye to them at 3 30 Mm. 4 4 o'clock wherever you're working (laughs) that's right (laughs) but then you are faced with and you're faced with this child that is forever and it changes overnight because literally, okay, you're pregnant, but nothing. You can still go around and do whatever you like when you're pregnant. You're not on anybody else's time frame, more or less, yes. Uh, But then it changes completely. And like you say, you came home, you're in your little fog of (laughs) post-birth wonder, and it all went pear-shaped. Totally. I had the opposite. I had six nights in hospital. Oh, stop To it. the point where I was like, I'm never leaving this yes. place. This is the ultimate. Well, you know, I that... press a button and a lady comes but in the middle of the night. no yes. button at home. <laughs> but you know no what's interesting, actually, you say that, is that um, when I had Olivia, I had advice from a from the birthing classes at the birth mm. centre. They were like, you do not want your mother around because, you know, you, when your mother sees you in pain, that's not a great thing. Mothers kind of have this innate response to want to fix it. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I never had a baby before. And um, what was really interesting was that that I came home and that first night she cried all night and I was like, all I wanted was my mum to help me. And I remember ringing her going, can you just come now, please? Now, they live in Adelaide, so that wasn't easy. They'd <laughs> planned to come a week later because I had said to them, no, let us get home. We need to get settled. All the things that you're taught. And no, that was the one person that I wanted. Second time around, she was already there the minute that well, she was there when I went into labour. Um, and three weeks later, she says to me, can I go home now? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you're going home? And she's like, it's been three weeks. I'm like, has it really been three weeks? <laughs> Feels like it's about three minutes. But it's just that support is so important, mm, isn't it? Like yep. really having that that you know, group Mothers of people need around to be you. mothered. Correct. Mm. Yeah. And whether it's yeah. your own mother or whether it's a good friend or whether you're hiring a doula, yeah. mothers need to be mothered. Yeah. I mean, they can't even have a shower some days because that baby is needing them. Or you do get in the shower and you feel you, you hear that baby crying and you get racing out and the baby's still sound asleep where you left it anyway. Oh, yeah. well, you hear everything in the shower, don't you? You feel like you've been broken into whilst you're in the shower. Like, what's that noise? What's that noise? Pinky, what about the people that can't or choose not to breastfeed, you know, in terms of just how we approach things. I, I mean, obviously we know breast is best and there's lots of reasons why people can't, can't breastfeed. What about the guilt and how do we help women with I that? I think it's actually more of a grief process mm. than guilt. You have no reason to feel guilty 
um, you know, you've done the best that you can do. And there are women who do have some medical conditions that make it, you know, PCOS and, um, you know, there's actually one called insufficient glandular tissue. And I had a one of my um, mums that I saw, she's actually a doctor, you know, this, this mum had the insufficient glandular tissue, had been devastated at her first experience and I saw her during pregnancy. Now she just shifted her goalposts yeah. a bit, used a nursing supplement. It was a little device that you hang around your neck with the milk in and a fine tube next to your nipple that the... Um, milk goes in as you feed. And, you know, she rested for the first couple of weeks. She took herbs and galactagogues. She didn't want to take anything medical and um, was able to give her baby, you know, her baby never had a bottle. It actually was only ever fed at the breast with donor milk. Wow. And oh, then lovely. by about six months, she stopped giving the, um, using the tube at night time. And by about eight months, she came down to visit me and her baby was going, <laughs> grabbing oh, at her breast, wow. just like, you know, your fully breastfed baby. And then about 18 months, she's saying to me, how do I get this kid to stop ripping my shirt open? Because <laughs> she was producing enough, you know, enough milk by then to do with family foods. And, and the breastfeeding is so much more. But, you know, if you're not, if you're actually bottle feeding, it's really important to do some things like skin to skin with your mm. baby. You know, I found mothers find learning baby massage, for instance, really healing because they're doing that connection with all of the bonding, the eye contact, all of that sort of, um, you know, beautiful stuff that they're doing and that people aren't racing to take the baby from them mm. and give them a bottle. I mean, that mother is still that mother mm. and that yeah. she, you know, instead of holding the baby and tipping the bottle straight up, that she does that paste bottle feeding and, mm. you know, is really respectful of the baby's cues too. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never actually... Heard of it. I've told the story of it on here before, haven't I? How I, I got non-lactational mastitis after a girlfriend had a baby. <gasps> <laughs> and I've woken up. So it was really interesting because when my sister had um, her daughter, I definitely could have fed her. But I'd only breast, I'd only stopped breastfeeding a few months before. So that made sense. Right. And, and I was brought like, it oh, back yeah. on. It did. I, I was like, get the child on you. I'm having a letdown every time she cries. <laughs> it was awful, that right? so interesting. I wonder yeah. if that's to do with a DNA response as well. Well. Okay, then. So how was it then Then we explain this? So my best girlfriend had a um, baby and I'd gone to visit and she's actually ringing me right now. That's weird. Um, and we'd gone to visit and it was very much this beautiful, like the lights were down. They'd been they'd been moved to the Como Centre, the, the hotel room. Oh, yes. You know, it was all very, yeah. very beautiful. And I had my, you know, I had a little cuddle. And anyway, I, that night I got home and I'm like, oh, gosh, must be getting my period. My, my breasts are really sore. I woke up the next morning and they were like... I mean, I've had mastitis, so I know what it feels like. Yeah. They were rock hard. They were they were burning. So anyway, I, I kind of read it out through the day and I've, I, I, you know, phoned a couple of friends and I was like, do you think this is possible? And they're like, nah, nah, that's not possible. <laughs> Ask doctor friends, not possible. Went to the GP <clears throat> the next day because it still wasn't any better. And I knew what it was. I just wanted a diagnosis at this point because you can feel and you've been through yeah, it before. Anyway, and he said to me, he's like, I think you've got long, not, non-lactational mastitis. I'm like... I didn't even have enough milk to feed my own child. How is it that I'm now producing milk? <laughs> At least Olivia in the first instance. But that's something to talk about too. You know, my, that was a process and very much a learning curve. And Geordie, I had definitely more milk for. But this was just the most bizarre thing ever. I had something really similar. Really? A adopted a baby. And the mother had said to, you know, pick up this baby before I bond from her. And she called into my house with a one-day-old baby. I hadn't breastfed for a few years. Yeah. And I cuddled, you know, this newborn. That night, I got in the shower and my boobs felt like you. I thought, God, am I getting a period? What the I hell's know. happening? 
and I expressed and out came some, yes. you know, fluid. Yes. And I went, huh? And but apparently, you know, perhaps midwives, people who work with mothers with babies have higher levels of oxytocin. Right. Oh, because you're around wonderful. those babies. Yes. So that must be Well, it was bizarre. And it didn't happen the next bizarre. time, but it happened the time after that again. And it didn't happen wow. as badly. You're like, I can't see you until like, your baby is. And everyone was laughing, but I'm like, I literally, it was, it was really painful and rather hilarious, really. But I just think it's so, how smart are our bodies then if that they can do know. things yep. like that, that they know? I mean, once upon a time, that was the food source. If yes. there wasn't anything else, well, that would have right. been, I would have been the you food been source. The I would have been like, oh, I can do this, mm. actually. Yeah. Really bizarre. But, you know, the other thing, too, is what do people say when you have mastitis? Oh, you just need to express. Well, yeah, you express and then no you thanks. make more. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I'm not expressing this. I've just got to, you know, it was very I'm bizarre. I'm going for my friend's baby. <laughs> Cabbage leaves. Oh. What, what's the um, thinking about sharing breast milk. I mean, I have a friend who's quite, um, she's she's a beautiful person and she has a really good friend and they had babies about the same time. And I remember one day she left her baby with her friend and her friend said, if he gets hungry, do you mind if I breastfeed him? And she said, no, because, you know, he's, he's hungry and, and he'll get from you nutrients that he won't get from me. And I think that's probably a good thing. But she said she'd told a few people that story and people were horrified at the idea of it. Why? You know, I don't see anything horrible about it. I, I mean, I actually wet nursed my friend's adopted baby from Haiti. And, you know, she wasn't breastfeeding. Her baby was adopted. She wasn't producing milk. And she had taken her toddler to the doctors, who was also adopted from Haiti. And she left, she left her toddler with me while she went to the doctors. And she said, when, and now she's tall, very, very blonde, fair-skinned, and she had this beautiful little black baby with, you know, black fuzzy hair. She was about a month old. And she said the baby started to cry. And all she could think of was, what would Pinky do? <laughs> and she put this baby on the breast. <laughs> and she, we still laugh about that doctor going, he was like a bullfrog with his mouth opening <laughs> and shutting. And... <laughs> And she came back to my place. I said, I don't own a bottle. I was, you know, I was breastfeeding my baby at the time. I said, look, I can breastfeed her for you if you want me to. Like I was open to it, but. I think between you have to have consent from that of other course. mother. You can't just go and breastfeed someone's baby. No. And so we had this discussion about it. And because at that stage HIV was very big in Haiti and her baby was still, you know, had to be tested for a while and things like that. And we talked about it and said, well, look, if it's protective, you know, I'm happy to give you some breast milk. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and breast milk sharing does happen. I think, though, you do have to be careful about screening from donors. You know, there are milk banks available for mums with prem babies, but yep. they're not widely available here like they are in the States where you can actually buy breast milk. And I believe Elton John, his partner, bought breast milk for their babies. You know, so I think mothers have historically done that and they've had, you know, the wealthy women would have had wet nurses yes. mm. um, instead of Queen Victoria. anything else. Yeah, well, what else would they do? Mm. Do you know, I want to talk a bit more about probiotics and the benefits of um, breast milk, but we'll need to take a break. We so do. we'll be back after this. On the Wellness Collective today, we're speaking with Pinky McKay. I feel like we could be here for hours, so I hope you're uh, going for a nice long walk while you listen to us. But the reason that we got you to come in and join us, Pinky, was because we really wanted to talk to you about this idea that there's been like breakthroughs and some really interesting information about probiotics and breast milk and mastitis and and the way that we've kind of approached these things in the past is kind of changing, isn't it? It is, Yes. It is. Look, we've gone really overboard excited with 
um, probiotics yes. too. <laughs> and we don't need to give them to a newborn. We just need to give them breast milk because breast milk is the ultimate probiotic. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't need to worry about the baby. Um, although if a mother is, you know, perhaps dry in the first instance, doesn't have um, you know, any milk or colostrum coming in. Um, you know, sometimes women take a little while for their milk to come in. And I always suggest to women that from about 36 weeks of pregnancy, they may like to um, express colostrum. Now, oh. warm your breasts, um, maybe after a warm shower, wash your hands and express a little bit of colostrum. Just hand express, don't use a pump, it's going to get lost in there and you don't want that stimulation or discomfort anyway, mm-hmm. and collected in syringes, so about 40 cents each for a two or five mil syringe at the chemist, and pop them in little Ziploc bags in the freezer. And then you can take that in with you so that you know, perhaps women who've had gestational diabetes and they're told, to, you know, we'll have to give you baby formula for its blood sugars. You can avoid that. You can give them that express colostrum and keep that gut really clean, pure, and, um, you know, that microbiome really as it's meant to be. Mm. So you can do that. But yes, um, probiotics for mums with mastitis um, are a really helpful thing. Now, there's, I was a bit weary about what we might be introducing with probiotics and where they've come from. I think people need to look at that. But there's one mm. very um, quite well-researched one called Kiara. It's Q-I-A-R-A. Yep. Um, and I'm not getting paid by them. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. That we have found quite effective. There's good studies that it is lactobacillus fermentum. So people get a bit, it's only one lactobacillus, but the studies in Spain showed that women who had recurrent mastitis were very low in this particular strain. So, um, you know, women who've had mastitis with previous babies even are finding that if they start that during the last trimester sometime, it might be closer to the birth or far away, they've actually helped their own microbiome and they're less likely to get mastitis if they take that while they're breastfeeding. Now, let's just rewind a little bit because, I mean, I had mastitis about eight times, I think. You had it. And you, Nat, I'm pointing once, at you. Once, once with Olivia. And then once and as a mystery. Once as a, yes. <laughs> mystery <laughs> mastitis. As a mistress. Like, <laughs> as a mistress. Mm-mm. No, that <laughs> one's still to come. <laughs> <laughs> and Pinky had it when she hugged, yes, her, I've had hugged the children. But if you are unfamiliar with mastitis, it's actually uh, an, an infection in the breast, isn't it? Yeah, the, it can be non-infectious. You can have inflammation True. without infection. Yep. Um, but yes, it can be infection. And some women will need to go on and have antibiotics. I had to have antibiotics yes. every single time because yep. it made me so sick. And Oh, it's sudden. It comes out of the blue mm-hmm. and it feels like the flu. I think any time a mother who is breastfeeding feels as though she's coming down with the flu, yep. rest straight away and be suspicious that you, and check your breasts, that you haven't got a red hot lump mm. or a hot boob. Well, and also too, the way it looks. So it, if you look at your breasts, you'll have like a red splodge quite often that, yep. that looks like little red veins that are sort of spreading out. And I remember a doctor drawing on my boob with a texter (laughs) around the area and said, okay, we'll come back, you know, in a couple of days and we'll see if it's shrunk. Mm. You know, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Now I'm walking around with like circles tattooed all over me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, I mean, it's one of those things exactly. I think that, you know, we've just talked about mastitis like everyone knows about it, but it is really quite insidious too because as you say, you've got so much going on. If you've got a a, a small baby, you're exhausted. If you're, you're breastfeeding and all the things that are going on with that, you can just feel like you know, it, it, you're putting one foot in front of the other. But then if you do start to feel like you've you, got you yeah, can't. The shivers, the <laughs> yeah. cold. It comes on very quickly. Very quickly very it can quick. come on. Yeah. yeah. And, but once you've had it once, you kind of know mm. 
the next time that it's coming. And the thing is, you really do have to treat it like any other illness. I need to rest, you mm. know, call in the troops, whatever support you can get and absolutely know, rest. Yes. My mum said to me when I, she knew straight away, she was like, you have mastitis, go and get in. What did you make me do? Get in the bath and I had cabbage leaves and all sorts oh, of things. Oh, and you got to like But what she did boots. say to me, which was interesting, was what would you do? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, what yes. would you do? And I'm like, oh, I can treat this. <laughs> Chinese medicine does a really good job of treating mastitis. Um, so I did. I treated myself and it was very short-lived. So that was a positive that's experience. It, if, you can, if you can get onto it and if you can use something Well, that's natural, the thing. I can totally great. get onto it straight away. Not everybody yeah. has the liberty of that. So What I, did you do with TCM? I took, I took herbs. Herbs. Yeah, specific okay. herbs that are for, uh, you know, um, that type of infection and heat and mm-hmm. hmm, it's very effective. Well, that's good there to know. Go. Yes. Um, okay, so this um, Kiara... Is it something that you, is it a preventative sort of thing? Is it, do you think it's worth if people taking it kind of in case or if you've got mastitis? Some people do take it in case. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fear around mastitis. Like, mm. you know, people hear about their friend who had it or something and, and everybody's a little bit anxious that what if I get mastitis, you know, because everybody wants, you know, most people want to breastfeed and they don't want to have a hiccup and they don't want to get sick. So lots of people are doing lots of things around preventative stuff. But I think the biggest things around mastitis are, you know, stress and rest and emptying your breasts. So mm. that, you know, warmth, rest, emptying your breast is sort of, what you do rather than putting in a strict feeding schedule where you won't feed your baby um, and your breasts get really tight and sore and then you start to get some blocked ducts and then your environment is ready for, you know, bursting into mastitis. So if you're keeping warm, emptying your breasts, you know, all those sorts of things, you're probably going to be safe, but you may not be. I mean, sometimes there are babies who don't empty effectively um, and you can start your Kiara when you've got an infection, but it's it's advised that you do take it as a preventative. But it's just a little powder that you can pop in some water, juice, smoothie, whatever. Mm, mm. Very good. Do you, um, I know we're talking about, you know, breast is best and, and all that, but um, I think, and, and the guilt around formula feeding and stuff, but I remember having a, a health nurse say to me one day that um, I should not give my baby any formula at all because it ruined their stomach um, and any of the breast milk for the next four or five feeds wouldn't have any effect on them. And I was like, that seemed very unhelpful. <laughs> Why would the next four or five breastfeeds not have any effect on them? Because I think the the it's the gut microbiome and it can take actually up to about four weeks for it to come back as it was before oh, after right. a bottle yeah, of formula. Right. Yeah. So one bottle of formula could have yeah. that effect on the microbiome. Yeah. How interesting. Which yeah. is why then if you are... You need to source the best that you can and then also make sure you're trying to give a variety of, at whatever age would be appropriate to give a probiotic. What would you yeah, do Yeah, well, a formula-fed baby may yes. do better with a probiotic. Yes. They can actually take, there's a Kiara baby one, which yes. is cultured from breast milk. Yes. I just think sometimes, I mean, if you're breastfeeding and you grab just any, probi- any baby probiotic, if it's cultured from, say, dairy milk, you might, we don't know. There hasn't yes. been long enough research. Mm. So, mm. Um, you know, it would just would be a safer thing to use one cultured from human milk than, you know, grabbing something that just might be. But, I mean, if your baby's formula fed, you may need a probiotic or it might be, shouldn't, not need, but it might be helpful to your baby. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can I ask you what you know about um, 
women with breast implants and say if you've had breast cancer, what what are the chances of breastfeeding after that happening? If you've got breast implants, depending on the reason you had them in the first place, if you have not had any development during puberty and you've perhaps got tubular, widely spaced breasts, that might be a signal that you don't have a lot of ductal tissue. So... It might mean it's not the implants that cause a problem. Lots of women can safely breastfeed with implants. It can make your boobs a bit perky and the nipple might stick up a bit, so you might have to alter your position a little bit. But if they're put in behind the muscle, the implants, you know, if you've just got normal-sized breast and it's just been a bit of, I want to... I want to boost or I want a bit bigger, chances are you're going to be fine. Wow. Mm. Interesting. One other question, I know that we're running out of time, but supply for a lot of women is an issue. Um, they have trouble with supply. I get asked this question a lot in the clinic. What do I do if I don't have enough milk? Yep. Um, what are the issues that can lead to, I know you've said, you know, lack of tissue, but what about the birthing process and how that impacts milk? If you've had a big bleed at birth, that can affect your pituitary and it can mean that your milk can come in very slowly. It might even affect the amount that comes in. I mean, I'm just thinking of a client, a client that had a big bleed, had a hysterectomy, first baby. Wow. Um, was told you won't get a full supply. Sadly, this mother had been following a book that had four hourly feeding. And when yeah, I said to right. her, no, no, skin <laughs> to skin, you know, whatever. But looking after you as well. Um, and they can take some galactagogs. Look, it's really hard around the research what? around galactagogs. You know, what, what's foods? a galactagog? It's a food or a herb that will help boost breast milk. Right. And what they do is work a bit on the prolactin, which is your milk-making hormones. So, you know, like I've got booby bickies, for instance, which are a cookie that mums can take or a she cereal. She's a fabulous pin-up girl for that, actually, I have to say. Yes, that was me that feeding was Geordie. You. Oh, yes. you were the pin-up girl. You were breastfeeding. She was, was the pin-up girl. the time. That's yes. very funny. Aww, <laughs> yes. Love it. And, um, you know, so mothers can, you know, there are foods that will support, but mothers do need to be eating well and all of that. But, you know, it, it is, there are medical conditions that can make it difficult for so, women and it can come in. But this particular woman who'd had the hysterectomy, whatever, was never going to get another chance to breastfeed. Mm. And so I worked with her and I said, and when you go down and get that baby weighed, because, you know, there's different scales that babies get weighed on. There can be people that can get quite cross with you if you don't want to take medication mm -hmm. for it. And yet there can be side effects with some of the medication that, you know, are quite serious. So I said, take your family down with you, take your partner, take your mother-in-law who was staying from Italy with this mum. And they went down, the baby had gained, I don't know, couple of hundred grams. It wasn't a huge amount. So they all went, oh yeah, she's gaining weight. And so of course the nurse who had been hounding them didn't actually get a word in edgeways <laughs> and they came home feeling good. And you know, things like counting yes. the nappies, you know, that is this baby actually getting enough? Because you can't starve your baby. You can't say just feed all day if your baby's not actually getting enough. And then these people were going back to Italy and six months later, I got this beautiful letter and a photo of this baby who'd been fully breastfed for six months. So it was just beautiful. That's amazing. And, and you do hear these, you know, sometimes it can take a while and babies may need to be supplemented as it's coming in. Mm. Um, you know, I had a family member recently who had a big bleed and it took her about t two weeks in. She texted me a picture of 30 mils that yes. she'd expressed. You yeah. know, in Chinese medicine, we look at bleeding <coughs> to be a factor in breast milk as well and supplement mm. and we, you know, use blood tonics um, to help yes. in, in that same, for that same reason. Mm. Um, and often, I know this is a bit off topic, but I think it's important to touch on. Often mothers we find in clinic who are experiencing postnatal depression have had big bleeds as well. So it's again that same sort of linked up in. to the, yeah, absolutely. A number of, um, you know, traditional doctors now are recommending um, 
iron infusions. Mm, mm, yeah. Very interesting. But it just but makes sense. I mean, that goes back to the, the basics of Absolutely. your body can't Absolutely. do everything, don't have everything at once. No. I, I also know, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding also was, you know, my milk definitely took a long time with Olivia, but there was this cascade of, I'm very special in labour with You're both children. I know, right? General, well, it was a bit, it was, it was stop, start, stop, start for a really long time because yeah. I birthed in a birth centre. That was fine. They let me go and it was sort of over a period of um, 10 days or so. But because I was in and out of labour and I, I was in, experiencing that, it meant that I didn't eat for 10 days in the lead up to having yes. her. And I, so I was, I was, I gave birth and if you look at pictures and of course everyone's like, oh, you look amazing and you feel <laughs> awful, yep. awful. It's this expectation of, you know, oh, wow, you've bounced back, it's like you have no idea how. No, I'm anyway, a camel. I'm just, exactly I'm just right. living off my So supplies. there was that and then I had to have my, my um, waters broken and there was just a series of things that I understood that could have slowed down um, and, of course, starving her, so yeah. no stimulation. The so there was a series. Response. That's True, right. There was a yes. series of things that led mm. to that and I don't think my milk really came in probably until at least eight days after she was born. And I remember mum standing there and I'm standing at the door crying and I'm like, what's wrong with me? And she's like, your milk's coming in. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was this celebration of me having this meltdown and my milk coming in. But I think trying to encourage women, I know it's a really hard time, but to look back on what's actually happened to logically piece together yes. why it might yes. be taking a bit longer and can we have these conversations? Because I think again, be kind to yourself. Yeah, they're important, right? And it doesn't mean you can't or you won't produce milk at all. It, mm. it will come, mm. but often by about the second or third day, women are getting really anxious and they go, right, I've got to stop. And they think it has to be all or nothing. Mm. And they can gradually get there. Mm. Yeah. I think too, um, I just remembered um, when I had mastitis, one of the hundred times I had it. It was this weird cycle too where people go, oh, you're going to keep breastfeeding? But then you have to keep breastfeeding to clear the mastitis. Exactly. (laughs) So you're like, well, I don't really know what to do. So, yes, I'll just keep doing it because I have to drain the milk from my body. Mm -hmm. You don't have a choice at that point. You don't have a choice. And then you're like, oh, well, it's all fine now. I'll just keep going. You know, And and every time someone would say, oh, clearly you're not going to keep going now. And I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? I've got got to get out of this situation People just don't understand. It's often people who haven't had children Mm. who will say to you, why are you putting yourself through Mm. that? You know, and, yeah. and yet it's such a biological urge to keep feeding your baby as well. I mean, mm. yes, of course, you'd love it all to go away and stop and be not hurting at that point in time. But yeah. you have this connection, don't you? And it's a really deep biological connection. And I think that's where the grief comes in when it doesn't work for women or they mm. don't get the right support and it all goes... Yeah. You know, to it's Helen Hamburg. There's so much, though. There's so much to think about. I remember um, when Geordie just stopped feeding and I actually mm. had spoken to you, Pinky, and said, he just stopped feeding. And you were like, well, did something happen? And I'm like... I don't know. And then I had this, well, he bit me. And you said to me, well, what did you do? And I said, I screamed really loud. And she said, well, you've frightened him, haven't you? And I was like, but he didn't feed after that. That was it. He did not want a bar of it. And he was old enough that, you know, we transitioned him. And that was probably actually perfect timing for him because of his health conditions and whatever. And we moved him on to other things. But um, it's, again, having that, well, what happened? Like, let's look back and see and piece together and let's logically work that out. Do you think, too, that that's partly his personality? because I'm thinking about my two children and and I would still be breastfeeding my son now if if I I would have been happy to do so he just was mad for it he loved it whereas my daughter at 11 months said 
No, oh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. And then I look and at I their never, personalities and he's quite cuddly and more lovey and she's quite I think, distant. yes. I wonder if it's partly to do with them as people as well. Mm. Ooh, bodies I are reckon so it could interesting. Be. I know, bodies are really interesting really and that are. relationship with our kids is so interesting and we can never go back and do it all again, but we keep questioning ourselves, could I have done more? Could I have done better? Totally. What did I do? Is it all it's, my fault? You know what's fault? interesting too with that <laughs> is that, you know, I yes, so some, and there is some women that just love breastfeeding and I wasn't one of them. I did it because I knew what the benefits were. Um, but, I mean, Livy used to just take forever and just I felt used to feel like a hot, sweaty mess all the time. And, you know, you got there in the end, but that could be part <laughs> of it too. It was because maybe I wasn't enjoying it as much as I felt like I should have. Mm. Now that they're older, I have to say I look back at and I go, oh, now I'm actually enjoying being a mum, but I didn't actually love being a mum to babies. I think we all have stages that we love being yes. a mum. You know, I, like newborns, I find, yeah, they're beautiful, but I actually love two-year-olds. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, they're spontaneous. They've got no ulterior motive. Everything's curious. I just minded one of my son's friend's little two-year-olds the other day. I had the best time. Oh, gorgeous. And, you know, but I was a useless mum when it came to, you know, doing this, the dancing classes and the, that yeah. sort of stuff. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That, you can't you know, do everything. That, that stage was really take it or leave it yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did it, but I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of kindness, you know, that we might be average at some things and really great at other things yeah. and all the way through and, you know, find a friend that loves doing that with your kid Absol- or, oh, totally. you know, do you know what I hate? your partner I hate- might do Lego or something really well. Well, I'm the them. one that loves the Lego. <laughs> I love house. Lego Everybody too. knows that. But I loathed, I loathed the um, solid stage where you had to sit there and feed them. I just used to, and I was very much, let's just do self-led that. We'll just put all the <laughs> yep. foods there. I used to, I cannot tell you how much I didn't like doing that. Um, but my mother-in-law just loved it. So I just used to pretty much, I knew that they were getting fed when they were <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the time they might have been starving. Lucky they spent like five days a week there, whether it was two hours or six hours. They were still there often. Oh, my goodness. My Sarah said to me, "What's she's got no children, you see, and she said, what's this baby-led weaning? All my friends are doing it. I said, oh, it's like I did with you. You just put a piece of pumpkin on yes. the high chair tray. You mean you didn't even feed me? I, <laughs> no. I said, oh, you were number four. I was overfeeding you. <laughs> she was a fat baby. She was fine. Oh, that's cute. That's so cute. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I Damaged did not life. have fun with that stage. That was not my fun. I'm that like was... that with little babies. I like newborns, like yep. tiny ones. But then beyond that, I'm like, I don't, I don't need to hug your baby. <laughs> I actually don't rush in and hug babies because I went to see my niece's baby a couple of weeks ago and she's going through that separation, that five-month real separation anxiety. And they were, I mean, I adore her, but I just said, I'm not going to even try and take her off you until she puts her hands out to me because it's not fair. They're not just little parcels. No. And I I don't mind. I I never really think I'd like to be held by half the people who probably (laughs) held me in my life. Exactly. Right. Let's respect their space. Oh, that's so oh, dear. Pinky McKay, thank you so much for joining us on the Wellness Collective today. It's an absolute delight to have you here and to just be able to talk about this stuff. And, you know, even if you're not a breastfeeding mother, maybe you've got one in your life or you've been there, you've done that, or maybe it's on your horizon somewhere in the future. And I just think it's so good to be able to know this stuff. And let's be honest, Yeah, you know, mm. to each other, because mm. so many people are hiding what's really happening to them <laughs> because they think they'll be judged or whatever, mm, and fail. you know, or they've failed. They have this terrible sense of failure. And 
you know, every mother that says that to me, I feel like a failure. She's doing a fabulous job. I've never seen anyone that wasn't. You created another human being. It's a pretty amazing thing. You're awesome. Totally. Now, before we go, I just want to read a review because that's what I like to do. And also just coax people into leaving a review because they make our day. And there's just absolutely no pressure. But whoever left the three-star review... You can go back and upgrade that to five. Um, <laughs> Especially because our overall review status has gone down to 4.8 yeah, from five. So that. come on, come um, on, people. It's your game. Oh, no, um, back to five. But let's read this. So, ladies, you are so refreshing to listen to. Thank you for asking the real questions with no BS attitude. Your guests are informative and you clarify the things we wish we could ask when we listen to you. And I know you love reviews. So here's another one for you. We love you. Ms. Sharp, number yes, one. Yes, Ms. Sharp. Thank you so much. And, yes, please leave a review. Um, it's only takes a couple of seconds to do. That's right. And head over to our um, Instagram page so you can keep you up with what we we're going on. we are nearly at 1,000, Cecilia? Well, you know, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Well, you know. It's Collective The Wellness yes. on Instagram. But, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, please do so. Hey, um, one of our friends behind the scenes here said to me the other day, you know what you should do? You should do an episode where people ask a question and you answer it. His question was, do cheese dreams actually exist? Like, is that actually a thing? If you eat too much cheese, do you have weird dreams? And I was like, okay, I'll put that well, one down. Could, you know what? People so, can message us via Instagram their questions and let's do an episode. Let's that. That do an episode of questions. If awesome. you've got one, I think we could do maybe four or five questions and find our experts. Start totally. with cheese dreams. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just hope that this episode actually has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. Mm-hmm. 